Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 
it reminds me of um, what's that thing they play at football games at picnics? Oh, that cornhole thing where they throw, you know. So I mean, that's that's there. There's your pickleball, and I could see a bunch of people getting together at the park and doing playing cornhole instead of pitching horseshoes. Even, you know, horseshoe players must go, holy cow! They say cornhole. That's the pickleball. <laughs> of horseshoes, I guess. So, anyhow, Paul, uh, we have a problem, and I, I want to talk about mentorship real quick because that's where we left off the last time. We have a problem with numbers in the U.S. That's been my observation in the last few years. Um, you know, Texas is one of the leading states in the whole country as far as tennis goes, and just the things that I've observed in a state that supposedly is one of the leaders, I get concerned about what might be going on across the nation because the things I've seen the last few years as far as participation at at the tournaments that I've been involved with and then I've been going um, with my girlfriend to some tournaments that I hadn't attended for a long time and it's dismal what I've seen as far as participation versus, oh, 15, 20 years ago when I used to go to those tournaments myself. They were healthy. It was fun to play those things. You had to win four or five rounds to win a tournament like that. Houston Open, you had to win a lot more than that. And the bottom line now is a tournament director is happy if he gets enough entries to create a round robin Ew. so that you might get two or three matches for that same tournament in your event. Well, and I think that I could leave a lot of the participants feeling open, I mean, feeling empty because – you know, I, I've played some tournaments recently where I played one match. That, to me, is not a tournament. You know, that is just something that I could pick up myself between some friends and play a match and then call it a day. That's basically what that tournament has come down to when I'm playing one match to decide a title, if I can even call it that. Yeah. Well, Paul, so, we're gonna, so it, I want to talk about that a lot. Um, I hate to jump in there real quick here, but no, no, we're we going to talk about this. In, we're going to talk about this in detail, and the program is called "Can USA Tennis Boom Again?" Can USA Tennis Boom Again? And you are the guy that we're looking for to give us some answers because of your background. Not only 45 years of coaching people, hundreds of kids, parents. Uh, adults, friends, and everybody. You, I've, I've met few people that love tennis the way you did. Coaching collegiate tennis for 15 years, running the tennis tech program at Tyler. Now, um, I always ran at my camps. I would always make a trip out to Tyler to recruit kids to come work my camp because they were the best. Uh, it was a tennis. I think you got a uh, associate's degree in two years, and you could become a tennis professional. You help them get their USPTA or USPTR license. But basically they were set to go, and those people, those youngsters were in love with the game of tennis. And so you're you're the right guy, but to relate to what you're saying, one of the topics here I have toward the end was what are the sleeping giants in tennis that we need to wake up? And uh, one of them is it's us. It's us and the mentorship that we may not be doing, may not be doing. Um, I'm not going to uh, – we'll talk about this in a second, too. I don't want to go in depth. But I'm so upset that top-down management – our bottom-up initiative of you and me and everybody else on, on the block, everybody else used to play tennis, used to help kids get into it, We've become a, a amoebic or anemic, not amoebic maybe, anemic in that we, we used to help kids get going, and we used to have a lot to do with it. But the mentoring program, we our last program was so good that you were on. We talked about the mentorship and mentoring uh, other people into the game, and you've done this your whole life. Could you talk about that? Because if there are sleeping giants, folks, it's us. It's us, and it's um, I. We're, you've got a guy, we've got a guy on the program today that is one of the best tennis pied pipers I have ever met in my life. And uh, uh, talk about Paul. Talk about that five or ten minutes if you'd like about the mentoring and how critical it is for us to do our part. 
First of all, Coach, that's very kind of you to say, and I feel like I'm blessed to be in the position that I am because I do feel like I have a chance to influence some lives, and um, it's just fun to see when a kid has a goal and we're both working towards it. You know, whenever a kid has some success, I always congratulate the team, and I usually call it team of their surname because I know that it takes the parents to provide the opportunity. It takes the coach to provide the education, but it's the kid that leads us all because he wants it so badly. And I love being in that position because I know where I was growing up in Laredo. I wanted it very, very badly and either through lack of means financially or because we just didn't have a slew of professionals down in Laredo. I felt like um, learning out of books was nice, but it only got me so far and really the jump that I made was when I was actually in college coaching and I decided that I still was not the level of player that I wanted to be. I invested in some tennis lessons and I thought it was the best investment I've ever made in my, in my career other than the, the luck that I had to be mentored by some of the people that I did because I did get to um, pick the brains of some of the best in the game. And, and that was because of my own initiative. I've always wanted to, do the best job I can do in whatever I'm involved in. So learning from you and McKinley and Coach Gould and many others, I, I was fortunate enough to take lessons with guys that had played at Trinity and came back to work out with the team and needed a little extra money. Well, I took lessons from those guys. So that was, that was when I learned the value of learning from others and, and making an investment in my own game. Well, I see that now that I have that to offer, but somebody doesn't have to wait till they're already in their second year of college coaching or their job. I can pass that on to them when they're in middle school, high school. And then I, I see it as a blessing. Yes, I have to make a living, but it is what I feel is my calling is to help kids grow. If they have those goals, I help them reach it at a little talk, earlier talk age. About than your I first did. month of tennis, Paul, how did you get started? Somebody at the park, Somebody drag you down there. What what happened? How did you get going? If you if you well, you just learned in Laredo sort of on your own. <laughs> um, I had a a brother in law at the time. He's an ex brother in law now, but a very very different background than my dad. My dad was um, uh, not fully educated. Learned his trade in the army. He was a mechanic, and that man tried to make a boxer out of me when I was very young and my brother-in-law for Christmas of my freshman year in high school gave me a tennis racket and I had played baseball and football up until that time and I thought the guys that I were playing with were a bunch of bozos because when we would lose I wanted to go hide my head in shame and they wanted to know where the party was they wanted to know where they could go and get drunk sad this was ninth grade but they were already talking like this and I could not relate to that kind of stuff. I, I had a passion for sports, and I had, a, I had it in my head that I was going to be a professional athlete. So when I got this tennis racket, a revelation was, was made in my mind. I thought, now here's a sport that I can get out of it, what I put into it. All those guys and what they want to do with their own time will not affect me. I can devote myself to this individual sport, and I – had already grown up on Vince Lombardi-isms since seventh grade, the three Ds, desire, dedication, discipline, and I applied those to tennis, and I spent an inordinate amount of hours. I mean, some people don't believe me. I tell my kids that the first summer that I played tennis, I would play from seven in the morning to about eight at night with a lunch break, and that was my daily routine. Nine, ten hours was not something that I'm exaggerating. When I told somebody at TCU when I worked the camp under Tut Bartson that I was doing that kind of thing, he said to me, there is no way that somebody is doing that. That is just not possible. And I, I knew this guy to be a state-ranked player, so he was a god in my eyes. And I said, you don't do that? And he says, no, not at all. And he starts telling me that, you know, sometimes <laughs> uh, Tut, rest, rest his soul in peace, that he had to pull his son's ears a couple of times to go out and take lessons because they didn't want to go ahead. And I said, that's impossible. What he was telling me was impossible. I was telling him that was impossible for Tut to have to force his kids to have to, 
to get the knowledge from somebody like Tut Martin. So anyway, he just could not believe that I had that kind of work ethic. And when I try and explain to the kids that that's what it takes to be successful in tennis, because I truly believe that tennis is a very, very hard sport. I go around telling my kids next to golf, in my opinion, tennis is one of the most detailed sports out there. And if you want to get those details down, you have to spend hours and hours and hours getting our craft down. So I approached it like that. I feel like reading out of books and that kind of dedication got me to where at least I could get a scholarship at Laredo Junior College. And as far as I'm concerned, tennis paid for my education because I ended up getting another scholarship and it paid for 90% of my education. Uh, Bob McKinley was the one that gave me my big break when he asked me to be the assistant coach at Trinity. Not only did I have that opportunity right off the bat, but I was also the head coach of the junior varsity, men's and women's junior varsity team at Trinity at the time, which is now basically their Division I varsity program that they have. They dropped out of out of the Division I competition in 1997. So since then, they've been Division Three. But what I was coaching at the time was a Division Three program, and I was doing that right out of college. So if if that wasn't a golden opportunity, if that wasn't a blessing, then I don't know what is. So coach was well, nice what enough to see the passion. Well, what about see in you to give you that kind of a chance early? And I know what it was because I saw you at the NCAAs that year, and if there was a harder work, I don't know who was. And I said, where would you get that guy? And he, <laughs> I think Bob said, well, Chuck, I have met few people in the world that love tennis as much as this guy. And you and I Hi. were able to spend some quality time, but um, anyhow, it's, it is amazing. Well, but Bob Kinley saw your work ethic. That's all he cared about was your work ethic, Paul. And I'll give you a little detailed story on that. But the overall about why I went to all these camps is once I decided that tennis was going to be my profession. Well, then I wanted to learn from the best. So. The first thing I did, even before Bob McKinley came into the picture, I wrote Tut Bartson because I'd read about his record with Davis Cup and all that, and I, I figured a small-town boy could learn just a little bit from a guy that went 15-0 and in Davis Cup play. So I wrote him a letter, and I, he said, sure, we'll, we'll take you on a staff up here at our camp. So I had that as the very first camp I was ever going to work. Um, I'd worked at Nukes Tennis Ranch already, and I guess that's what allowed Tut to say, sure, come on up. But then uh, I told you this story in the first time we talked about when McKinley brought Larry Gottfried and uh, and uh, Erica Skursky to play each other in singles, and then we got the opportunity to play them in doubles, and I asked McKinley for a job at his camp, and he said I could come up there. Well, I ended up working his camp for seven or eight years, and, and uh, one of those times, Bob was a big, big believer in that you did six hours of tennis during the day, but you dropped the tennis idea at night. He always had something different to do at night. It was either going to the, the uh, recreational room or he had a dance for the kid. We played softball one night. We had a movie another night. It had to be non-tennis. He wanted to leave, leave tennis during the leave, – leave your job during the day and then do something social at night. Well, of course, we were required to still be there for those other activities – and one night he had to go to the restroom while while we were doing it, and I was just sitting there reading a tennis book. And as he passed by me, he said, what are you reading there, Paul? I said, oh, it's a tennis book. And he says, you don't get enough of it during the day? I said, oh, coach, I can never get enough of this game. I want to learn every day that I'm involved in it. I, I want to. So I guess that made an impression on him enough to where when <laughs> when I graduated from college, I wasn't even sure exactly what I was going to do with that degree. So I'm working for his camp in the middle of the summer, and he says to me, uh, Paul, have you found a job for the, for the fall? I said, no, I'm not even sure what I want to do and so forth. And he says, why don't you stay here and be my, my assistant? And I felt well, like this was totally out of my league. And I said to him, yeah. are you sure I can survive? And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, what you don't have in knowledge and experience, you'll make up for with your passion. And I said, well, coach, you're not going to have to ask me twice because I knew that I knew this was a golden opportunity that I was being handed. And 
And I still today think it was the biggest break I got in my 50 years in the game. So I well, will I've, be We've had similar things happen, and I've seen this before. And we have a lot of parents and coaches that are younger coaches. Listen, I'm not slamming you younger coaches, but this was a very – a very normal story that I've heard uh, a lot with people who have stayed in tennis for life. Now, where I want to go with this is, and I've had a similar situation in my lifetime where tennis has opened up so many doors that uh, would have never opened and just just because of work ethic and things. So parents, look, it, you can't put in what the good Lord left out, and I'll lead a little story here. So I did camps for all those years, Paul, 33 years at Clemson. Then another 10 years, I did day camps on the road and things after that. So I had, I figured I had 15 or 16,000 kids come through my camp. And typically, on the last day when the parents would come in, and they would come in, and I'd have two or three walk up to me and say, uh, what does my son need here? You know, what does my daughter need? Uh, how good can they be? And, you know, you'd have those questions. And I uh, I came up with the nature, nurture, self, or ability, opportunity, desire. Where you go with this is I'd always tell them, and I've I got to tell this background because it leads up. But, Paul, I'd say, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much abilities your son have? 1 to 10. How much uh, opportunity do they have on a scale of 1 to 10? Usually they say, well, they're an 8 as far as ability. How much opportunity? Well, they're a 7. And I said, well, now the desire part or how much they got in the tank, as far as their own desire, where's that at? Now, I used to come up and poll. I would tell them 20, 23 to 25 is the magic number. If they have 23 out of those, like an 8A eight, eight, and an 8A eight, eight, and a 7 or 8-7 and an 8, I said maybe a small college. Then I'd say if you got 25 or above, you can go to the moon. You know, you got a kid that's on fire. So the point is I'd say that and uh, – I tell parents that when they're getting ready to leave, why well, I had this one parent come up and say, Coach, I believe in all that desire <laughs> desire stuff. Coach, I believe in it, but uh, I sure don't want my boy Billy uh, to burn out. You know, I, and I looked at him. I said, really, burn out? When you're 14, I said, sir, with all respect, you got to have a little fire in the tank going before you could ever burn out. I said, your your son ain't got any fire. I was really, I was just tired as the end of camp. I said, you got a little fire in the tank before there's any burnout happening. But that's where we got. We got a little too daggone smart, Paul, for our own britches, you know. I mean, come on. Come on. Are you kidding me? I've worked for this profession for 53 years, and I've never had to work a day in my life. And you too, because, oh, you're going to burn out, coach. You're going to burn out. Why? What are you talking about? This is unbelievable. I love this job. I love to work with kids. I love to. I love this sport of tennis. So we're not going to give in. I'm mad, Paul. I'm mad. I, I. We got to find some vehicle to get fire in the tank. So here's where we go. Yeah, as you led in earlier, you said, okay, we got some problems. Nobody even showing up to these senior tournaments, Paul. We got problem in junior tournaments. You know, unless you're really, really wealthy, you can't go play. I can't take my daughter to play junior tournaments, much they cost. Are you kidding me? You know, I try to help her as all I can, but are you kidding me? You can't go to the park and get a good game. Are you kidding me? Everything's too, oh, my God, I don't play with you. You're a, a, a UTR uh, 8, and I'm a 8.5, and I can't play UTR. You know, my friend... My good friend Andy, John, uh, I, I, Andy, I don't mind talking about him. He said one time, "What is this UTR stuff, Coach?" I said, <laughs> "I said, Andy, it's sort of like they're rating all the kids now, and all the kids are paying attention to this stuff and that." Stuff. He goes, "I don't know about that. I thought I had a UTR one time, but I put a little cream on it and went away." <laughs> and I, 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 so anyhow, I'm, I'm getting fired up here about this stuff, Paul. We're doing a crummy job. I want, I want to talk about this. Neither you nor I am going to give up in tennis. So I want to get your idea. Nope. I want to give people solutions now about our sport and what we can do. I'm tired of people, oh, pickleball's the new thing. Come on. Are you kidding me? 
easy to pick up. It's going to be easy to put down, too. Your program today is called Coach Solis. Can USA have a tennis boom again? Come on, in the 70s. Paul, we had little bitty rackets, small rackets that were really hard to hit. It was extremely hard. We had the people were less athletic. We didn't have people jogging, running as much. People went bowling on Friday nights, and they played golf. Tennis, we boomed. Boom. We had thousands of people playing. All of a sudden, it caught on. All right. Now, we we got pick. Come on. Give me a break. Pickleball. Is this dill pickleball? Is this, uh, you know, butter? I mean, it's 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 really just, it's almost laughable, but our governing bodies are panicked. They're panicking. Okay, easy to pick up. It also becomes easy to put down. And I'm going to leave it at that, except I believe it's top-down management instead of bottom-up inspiration. Okay, USTA, ITA, all of you guys out there, you corporate people, marketing people, dictate what the policies is and you push it down the throats of people by the time it gets level four or five there is no initiative there are no ground troops there are no tournaments we put together and say hey this we got the cyo open we got the little sisters the poor tournament going this weekend at the park wait a minute we got novice jc's tournament here hey you want to play oh yeah let's go play how much entry fee five bucks and bring a can of balls we don't have that now. Hey, $170 entry fee at the Eddie Her for kids. $170, they got near, daggone, 1,000 uh, kids there, I bet, in all the divisions. Paul, we got to save the sport of tennis. Okay? Give me your... Yep. <laughs> I want Okay, I'm shutting it down here for you to talk here for a bit. Give me your thoughts what our problem is and what we might do, and then we'll talk about that. Go. Well, Coach, my, my first thought on all of this is, you know, I do believe there are still many, many coaches. Now, maybe they're more old school than the ones that are coming. Like you said, you didn't want to take a shot at any of the young instructors that are out there. I just know that I stay in contact with a lot of what's going on in coaching through social media and they have opinions and I can tell that their heart's in the right place and that they want to, to help kids grow just like you and I do and get involved in the sport and so forth. But my concern is a little bit of what you were just touching on is are there going to be enough students for them to, to mentor out there? You know, I, I guess I don't have a pulse right now with enough of the coaches that are at facilities where, they may have a chance to get somebody that has the goals and all that to really know if the participation at that level that they can see that, wow, we're just not getting the numbers that we used to. And, and you alluded to something, and that is, you know, the, the, the foreigner in college tennis. I feel like a lot of kids cannot even hope to have that dream of playing college tennis because they look at the lineup of so many schools and they say, well, you know, they don't seem to be interested in America. 80%. 80%, folks. Let me just jump. I got to put that in there. 80%. I've done this a long time. 80% all collegiate tennis players are, are from a different country. That Look, we're not against foreign kids. But come on, at state universities and everything, 80%. That don't give me that we don't have enough good American players. But my my son has no chance if he plays tennis. My daughter has maybe a chance at smaller colleges, but but that's disgusting, you know. And now now here's the other thing: Title IX was supposed to be for American women, wasn't it? Correct. Was Title IX um, set up to protect I, I don't, women? I never France? necessarily heard that it was American women, but I do know obviously that it was to help participation from women in sports or or anything Correct. that the government is is helping with the funds. You know, I mean, Title IX applied to band members, um, yeah. anything that the 
school was being supplemented by the government, women were supposed to have equal rights to that. So let's just say it was a very good law, very poorly implemented. I believe it was for my daughter and your daughter who are taxpayers to have opportunity to play collegiate right. tennis. Well, collegiate tennis is highly, highly international students. Look, we're not against, we're not racist or uh, whatever <laughs> against foreign kids, but come on. Every other country in the world, you cannot play on an English soccer or German soccer club only, I think they allow 20% max. They have rules like that, you know. But but anyhow, we're not. Let's not go there, completely. But the point is, college tennis is a sleeping giant because there's no place for kids to go. Okay, so another one is high school tennis. But go ahead. Uh, let's. I'm well, get let me, my, if I may, let ahead. me just extend a tiny little bit about the college tennis. And and I'm asking a question here that I've asked for the longest time. I haven't been in college tennis forever, but before I left, I already saw the foreigner factor, right? And of course, I wasn't the tennis coach at Tyler Junior College, but I I saw what was going on in junior college, and they came up with a rule that I thought was a pretty good uh, compromise, and that is at the junior college level, you cannot have more than two foreigners on scholarship on the team. Okay, so I thought that made for a good mix. Well, I've always asked, why couldn't that be implemented at a higher level, at the NCAA I have, level? I have the answer. And, I have the answer. That came great. up well, on at ITA. They came up at ITA meetings three or four times. I used to be an officer in ITA, and gee whiz, you know uh, what? What I learned about what goes on behind the scenes, unbelievable. That organization is profit-making organization that sort of teamed up with, they got college tennis. They even call themselves, we are college tennis now. No, you're not, ITA, you're not. You're not college tennis. You're an organization that just used college tennis to self-perpetuate your, law, your, your stuff. That's all. Good for you. I'm glad you're doing some things for us. But that's the truth on the thing. But the head of the – the head – was this Ivy League guy, I won't say who it was or anything, but he would say, oh, no, we can't do that. It could be lawsuits. And then everybody backed down. And I'd always raise my hand and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't get to say this exactly, but, okay, who's going to sue? The kid's not going to sue. The kid's parents are not going to sue. What do you think the AD's going to sue? Do you think somebody from another team's going to sue? Do you think the coach is going to sue? Who's going to sue? Give me a break. You know, so they just they were freaking out over that. But here's the point: what they should do. That's all water under the bridge. That's not going to happen now. Probably 50 percent of our college coaches are international students here. And guys, welcome to USA. We love you. Thanks for your hard work. But remember, this is the United States of America. This is the United States of America, the best country in the world, most open-armed country in the world. Please do not abuse that advantage. I've coached overseas, completely respectful for the countries that I worked in. They came first, always. You guys need to understand that as well. But here's the deal on this, Paul. The deal is I told the USTA guys down there in charge of college tennis, I told them, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you reward the coaches that have the most Americans on the team. You know, just, oh, okay, let's say top 20 in the country, if you have 80% Americans, we're going to give you $200,000. Put aside a million dollars of that $300 million or whatever you make from the U.S. Open and reward the coaches that do it with Americans so you have a reward system. And then when the coach sits down and says, who am I going to recruit? Okay, I've got this guy from – Portugal, I got this guy from Rhode Island. Uh, wait a minute, let's go. There, you need to build incentives. The other thing we need, I told the USTA, you need to make an all-American, all-American team. Right now, all-American team don't have many Americans on it. You know, and it's and it's not. Look, other sports. Uh, I mean, Purdue. I was watching basketball the other night. They got a great player from Canada. Nobody's against that. Nobody's bigoted or hates foreign kids, but we need to stick up for American kids. Give me a break. 
I've been in tennis 52 years, 53 years. My kids don't have a chance unless I send them and make them robots and send them to these academies, which I don't have money for. And it's it's just nuts. So um, anyhow, that's the story on that. Two two would have been perfect. Well, Junior college had it right. Yeah, I was just about to know, ask you. I I appreciate your insights there because uh, I know the party you're talking about that said they would get sued. Um, is he still in charge of the ITA? No, he's not in charge. They got another guy, another guy that didn't even have well, a tennis background. That that's uh, basically, you know, they've got our committees in tennis too. At the USTA level, we have very few coaches on there. Very few that have any experience. We have some former players that were really good that don't know the lay of the land really because they haven't been in the trenches be like an architect that's never been down in a ditch digging for it, you know, working on the building, you know. Uh, but anyhow, our leaders are 3.5 well, club players, and we've got these people that really do not need to be in leadership positions because they are volunteers. Nothing against them, but your volunteer, come on. Be like me, volunteer, to be on the golf committee. Sorry, I've been in sports 53 years, but I don't, I don't deserve to be on a golf committee. I'm a 3.5 golfer. Well, the reason I asked that question is because I agree with you that it was a facade about the the lawsuit thing. Because I always used to say, well, if that's the case, then why didn't the junior college level get sued? You know, I mean, they they put a limitation on how many foreigners could play at that level. And, And I never heard of lawsuits. I never heard of them getting attacked for it. And I personally think it's a great a great compromise because I think that Americans can learn from the foreigners. And if you have a couple of, of foreigners course. on the team, Dennis you know, it's, it makes for a good mix. Harry Hopman. I think Without Harry Hopman's influence, I'd have never been in tennis. He's Australian. God bless, right. you know, the Aussies. You know, God bless the great influence that some of the people, the Vandermeer had, had on so many people. God bless, you know, any of the, you know, Jose Higueras, thank you, Jose. But come on, we need Americans playing college tennis. Right, Which so. is where I started all this. So going back to the original point, if you if you limit it, then the Americans can still have that dream because, you know, you just said 80% of the NCAA level is foreigners. Well, that kid's not going to get too fired up when he knows he has a 20% chance and you know, you got to you got to be the cream of the crop to be that twenty percent that gets in. So the bottom line is, if I if I have an eighty percent chance, well then that's just going to open up things at so many different levels. Maybe go. I can't play for Stanford, but but there's another school somewhere down the line that I do have a chance of playing for. So yeah. so I just wonder if it's not time to revisit at the highest levels of the ITA about. Come on, is this really what we want as a representation well, of American Well, they get scared of scaredy cats because they won't address anything that looks a little bit politically incorrect. You know, there we go. So that's why we're handcuffed there. But it, you're right, it's time for them to revisit the in, international student issue. Now, Paul, we're going to have a lot of whining and crying and complaining because, as I said, more than half of our coaches now or international kids, but here's where the ads are. Really, they're smart business. Really, guys. Half, half of the coaches at the college level are are foreigners that yeah. have come up through the yeah, college just so. There's huh. a bunch. Interesting. But here's where the ads are. The ads are dropping tennis like hot potatoes. 1983, oh. I was coaching. Okay, Title Nine comes in. I asked. All the sports were doubling. All of a sudden, you had women's. Volleyball, women's basketball, women's tennis, women's swimming. When I asked our athletic director, whoa, they ever going to drop tennis? He said, no way you'll ever drop tennis. You'll never drop tennis because you get the most bang for the buck. You get most visibility for the least amount of money. You don't have that many people. It's a highly visible sport. She, he said, most of your graduates are very smart. They're doctors, lawyers. They become great alumni. Now, nah, tennis is safe. Facilities are already built. We lost over 500 collegiate programs, I think. And the reason why these are going, well, 
let's see, I haven't had American on that team in the last 10 years. We're not getting anything back from the alumni. <laughs> and so, you know, it becomes, whoa, okay, yep. you know, what are we doing here? So it, it becomes, there's a big catch-22 there. But that's one of the things. Can I take in another well, direction? As long talk as, about as, high school. As Go long ahead. as we're on women a little bit, I do need to defend the whole college scene and, and participation from women in tennis. And Absolutely. that is, you know, when you and I grew up, I remember reading <clears throat> Billie Jean King's autobiography, and she said that her dad told to her, you're not going to play baseball anymore. You know, her brother played professional baseball yeah. for the Giants, you know, and, and she wanted to be a baseball player originally. And dad said, look, if you're going to stay in sports, there's only two sports that you can play and keep your femininity to you, and that's golf and tennis. So which you is it going to be? <laughs> and I and she two, went to tennis two girls, Well, two, that two sisters that never got to play college sports. You, you're preaching to the choir because I want my daughters to be able to play sports. I want my sons to be able to play sports. And I think everybody out there is in agreement. Title Nine has done great in so many ways, so many ways. Right. But it was not. It was not spent meant to smash men's sports either though it's it's a mess with I agree. they've got some work to do i agree they've but got, i'm i'm leaving title work. 9 out of it in my, in what i'm trying to say and that is just that okay tennis is going to suffer as far as participants because like like mr king said you had two options at that time well now you got everything from softball to volleyball soccer was a huge both on the boys and girls side that in, in impacted our sport. You know, every time I go by a soccer field on a Saturday morning, field I hockey, see 500 kids dude. out there. I think to myself, there was all those kids that at one time were my potential market and they've gone that route. You know, they didn't have that yeah, option yeah. when I was growing up. So, so that's going to yeah. impact the numbers and, and what we're trying to do with the sport. But I still think it's a great option. I just know that as long as kids have more options, we're not always going to get, them to come to tennis so so i can understand why tennis has dwindled a little bit in that sense but i i defend it to the bitter end that it's a great opportunity but where does it get cut off well if the girl's thinking i'd like to play college well, tennis like we already discussed now it starts you know affecting how much they might think yes i'm going to get on the long-term path for all of this because they may see a dead end in their mind before it's all over and by the I way, agree. I didn't touch on that comment that you made about that guy that said, well, you know, I don't want my kid to get burned out. I'll tell you what, if somebody has a passion for something and it's very, very hard to get burned out, you, you can't get enough of it. So that dad that wanted to protect a 14-year-old, that kid never had a chance. <laughs> Simple as that. No, no, He's no, already no, bringing no, up no way, no way. No, we, we wrap our kids in bubble wrap these days. We don't, we don't want them to have any adversity, but they learn so much. Got to go this direction here real quick. We're, we're doing good. We got enough time. But, Paul, the, the sleeping giant or the sleeping elephant in the room or whatever, the elephant in the room, is how we have allowed USTA, daggone it, daggone you guys. You've let marketing people dictate the direction of our sport of tennis. I mean, it's often awful to see the corporate stuff. Now, here's what's going on. Oh, my gosh. And I can be critical, but you go down to that place in Lake Nona, you know, and that place looks like the Death Star, you know, on Star Wars. It's, it's a big old building. It's corporate. You walk in there and you look, you got your stormtroopers or your people, everybody's business, corporate, walking around, boom, 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 boom. You know, you need to have, it needs to be like St. Andrews in golf or up, you know, up in uh, uh, Rhode Island in tennis or Wimbledon. It needs to be like Wimbledon tennis or something. You walk in there, it needs to be 100 yards worth of USTA greatness, U.S. players' greatness, history, heritage, where kids come in and they go mesmerized like a, like a uh, museum and go, wow, wow. Instead, you got corporate this, corporate that. Courts are all lined up, robotic. I mean, you know, come on, guys. Don't you see? We're not touching the heart of anybody. Now, USTA runs everything on computers. 
top-down management. Everything's organized. So you got guys that are the bean counters, I guess, and I'm being straight up here. You don't have the passionate thinkers and the leaders there leading this. You got people who are looking at turning the dollar. So right away they've incorporated now pickleball, and they've incorporated, you know, that you know all the racket. They're going to call it the racket sports center. USPTA, whoever's in charge down there, you guys too. You know, it, look, we need educators that are going to touch the hearts of people. You've got to have things that strike up passion in people to where they love the sport. Right now, all of our kids, Paul, are playing for points. Points don't inspire kids. They don't play for points. They play for rivalries and tournaments of heritage. You know, they, they you wanted to do something where you could dictate how good you become, not how many opportunities you had. So the point is now the NOAD, here's where I'm going in. NOAD scoring, the abbreviated scoring, do you know how much damage you guys are doing? You are destroying the most intricate, most fantastic part of our game, the depth, the chess, the fly fishing. Paul, I told the guy the other day, you know, tennis used to be like fly fishing. Now they've given us a cane pole and a few worms and a bobber and said, go catch some brim. You know, and, and, and I, I, I'm just going, don't do that. Don't dumb it down. But anyhow, the reason they've done this is they've allowed marketing people to be in our leadership. You know, marketing people, business people, we need passionate educators. Any thoughts real quick on USTA top-down management instead of bottom-up there? Any quick you know, thoughts? I have a question for you. Um, I know one of your players, Jay Berger, at one time was on the player development program. And yeah, he's, he's still not there. there. He was head of he was head of uh, men's tennis. Kent Kinnear, one of my former players, now is head of men's um, development too. I've had conversations with him too, but he's he's in the corporate world. There, fantastic man, one of the best leaders, one of the best human beings ever. Good, tremendous. But again, I work for USTA back in my earlier days, and I remember having this discussion with uh, David Mark had passed away. He was in charge of Davis Cup and Junior Tennis and or US, uh, uh, Junior Davis Cup, which I was coaching. And I just said, look, I, I just feel like you're in a box. There's not enough opportunity here to create and to go outside the box with a lot of things. He said, well, you might be right there. But there were other reasons but basically, uh, things are – see, Paul, top-down management freezes people under you. Bottom-up management stimulates the whole ball of wax. You know, and and uh, we have to get away. People have to get smarter. Paul, they've destroyed our junior tournaments here, our state qualifier. I've got the book here right in front of me, 65 years. They put on a tournament in Belton, South Carolina. That was the most important right. tournament to every kid in the state. You know, they, they came in and they go, oh, well, oh, well you guys only have uh, this many hotels, not enough courts. Oh, you're going to be a level four uh, blue group uh, statewide. Uh, you're going to be, well, they killed the tournament. So what do you think happened to those 30, 40 volunteers? They go, whoa, really? Really? We're dead in the water here? And it's it's Paul. It's horrible. All over the country, they've done this. Top down management. If I may, may, if I may inject something real quick, go you ahead. just remind go me ahead. of something. You know, it, Texas tennis used to put out a little book that was uh, all the schedule of tournaments for the year, and I could not wait because I would map right. out my entire year and which tournaments I was going to go play, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, at that time. I had to pick which tournament I was going to go to on a given weekend because there was so many offerings. And then over the years, I just forgot about this because you reminded me when you said that. And over the years, I saw that book keep getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And then the last one I ever saw, which was about two years ago, they don't even bother to put it out anymore, right? It's all on the Internet now. But the bottom line is I was like, (laughs) I I would sit there and go, Jesus, there's hardly any offerings anymore, much less the idea of having 
a couple on the same weekend, heck, they did well to fill up all the weekends, you know. And I just saw it happen before my very eyes that this this has gone down. And and you know, it can't be that it, oh, okay, it's all changed and it's on the Internet. If you look on the Internet, it's the same thing. There are so few tournaments being offered here in Texas compared no. to when I was growing up. And I and I, I feel sorry for the tournament directors sometimes because I think to myself, well, I understand they do they do these things to make a little bit of money. They're not making any money with the few participants that they get. They're probably doing well to break even. So well, they've got a three or four so, chosen ones who pay homage to the USTA uh, that are making all the money in every state. The independent contractor has been sort of snuffed out by the USTA. You got to play ball with their stupid agendas. What and a lot of them make no sense, but they do have an agenda, you know, that that talks all inclusive, but they've become very exclusive with what they're doing. The UST. Here's what I was going to say real quick. I went out to these junior uh-huh. tournaments now, and I'm looking for the draw sheets. And I go up and I say, Well, do you have a draw sheet? No, got to go online. I said, okay, wait a minute, what if I've got a flip phone? You know, I go, uh, online, all right, well, how do I do that? Well, you've got to go to this website. Okay, so go to this website. What, what, what do I do now? Oh, you've got to go do here. Oh, what do I do now? Oh, yeah, oh, wait a minute, I think the match is I tried to watch is done. You know, it's like a joke. But they used to put the kids' names up on a big board, You'd go there. It was really exciting. All the kids would stand around and watch their name advance. Now they've made it so vanilla and generic and just so, so boring. USTA, you're making it boring. You know, so golly, Paul. It's just, anyhow. Sleeping Giants. I go around asking all my friends. I go around asking all my friends all the time about – why they think the participation has gone down so much. And there's a lot of interesting answers that come. Of course, pickleball is one of the biggest answers is that a lot of their friends have just gone off and done pickleball, you know, and I know guys that have been injured and can't cover the court the way they used to the tennis court. So that's one of the reasons they do it. But regardless of the reason they're doing it, that's one of the biggest answers that I hear is so many of their friends have gone to pickleball, but then the pandemic, the pandemic didn't help. You know, you reminded me of that when you said you have to go online. I don't know if you know that during the pandemic, you had to sit in your car and they would text you oh what court you yeah. were going to go to and yeah. your opponent would show up at that court. And then, you know, you wouldn't even go back to the tournament desk to report oh the scores. You, you, yeah, they had to do it. So now, you know how many people got lost in that? period there i mean that felt so oh, yeah. not it didn't even feel like an event you know so <clears throat> yeah, once you yeah. lose somebody it you got to put a lot of effort to bringing them back you know people find other things to go to so that's one of the reasons i hear my personal thing is i think the usta keeps asking more and more entry fee costs but offering less and less to play i know we're running out of time but i just wanted to give you this example you know 10 years ago when I turned 55 was about the same time that the USGA broke up these tournaments into 18 and over 40 and over and 55 and over. Okay. And I thought, you know what? I've never seen that, that facility that you just mentioned over at Lake Nona. And I said, I wouldn't mind seeing that. That's where nationals is going to take place. So I made up my mind and 55 plus 4.5, I was going to go for a national ranking so I could qualify for that tournament over there at Lake Nona. Well, a friend of mine, he qualified for it, and he went and played doubles over there, and I have lunch with him, and I'm asking how it went, and he starts telling me that he lost a match 1-4, 3-4, but he won a match 4-2, 4-3, and I said, <laughs> wait, 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 what, what, are you, what are you talking about for this, for that? Is oh, they had us play this thing called short set, and I said, are you telling me that I'm trying to earn points so I can go to this national tournament and I'm going to get there and they're going to tell me to play a set to four? Paul, I'm telling you, Paul, Chuck, some of our kids haven't even played a third set in daggone three years. It's, it's unbelievable. Now, look, this this simple. Listen, everybody. Listen, everybody. 
why would our government organization fight so hard to diminish our sports so much by butchering the scoring system? Paul, the gambling gambling is behind every one of the sports in the country right now. Okay? If you make tennis shorter, if you do no ad, there's more randomness. Randomness pays the house. Tennis has always been consistent, Paul. It's always been consistent. If you're the better player, you usually win nine out of ten times. Not with abbreviated scoring. Not with short sets. Not with the third set tiebreaker. We are shortchanging our kids. Our kids are not learning how to play. Their goal is for our kids to grow up with abbreviated tennis. Folks, listen to this. Goal, their long, short goal, they're bleeding it in by letting our kids grow up with shortened sets, abbreviated sets, no ad scoring. Do you think seven, eight years from now that our kids are not going to argue about professional tennis in abbreviated scoring? They're not going to argue. They'll be in the pros, and, oh, we've been doing this for the last ten years. So why would somebody be, look, you hot dogs out there, USTA, you guys just, that makes me sick that you don't defend our sport. You don't defend our sport. It's that simple, the history and the heritage of the game. It's so upsetting that you don't defend our sport. But the bottom line is that what you're trying to do is get things shorter, make more money, and you're being driven by the marketeers. You need to be an educator and stick up for the history and the heritage of this greatest sport in the world. Paul, real quick, I'm going to hold you over for another two, three minutes here. So I just want to go briefly in this high school tennis. Could you explain Texas has the best high school tennis system in the world? By the way, South Carolina, hooray. We just went back to traditional scoring thanks to the work of a couple of uh, steadfast coaches that got all the coaches together. Was, and was they one petitioned. of their names Chuck Creasy? No, I, I, know, listen, I, know Creasy? The coach, I know the coaches. I know the coaches, but I'm so proud of them for fighting. My daughter would be able to play real tennis instead of abbreviated no-ad bull crap. You know, that's terrible, terrible what they're doing. Okay, high school tennis in Texas. You are so smart. You have your – your individual tennis in the fall or the spring, Paul. You have team in the fall, spring individual, right? Both boys and girls. That's correct. Okay, team so in tennis the fall, ball individual is an in spring. It's an individual sport with team opportunities. We need to get that right. And we, there is a movement in college right now to make the fall all individual with the tournament in the spring team. We need to reverse that. We need to put team in the fall, individual in the spring in college. But that okay, Paul. I wanted to tell yep. you this. I have a program called Small Town Tennis USA. All right, we're not. That's a sleeping giant. There is a program I put together called Small Town Tennis USA, where they, you would recruit the number seven, eight, nine guys on college teams, give them good jobs at the YMCA and things in small towns, in different places in our country, and they could stimulate interest in tennis. Okay, I think we're losing the bat. Most, you know that 74% of all of our professional athletes come from small towns in the U.S. So, anyhow, yeah, yeah, we need to do that. Senior tennis, Paul, I wanted to say this about senior. It's the symmetry. We need a different ball for senior tennis. Folks, call it the gold standard, the gold standard. It could be a little bit bigger, a little bit fuzzier, a little softer, but not a green dot ball. Kids... Uh, adults don't want to play with that that uh, kitty ball, just like you or I. I grew up in Indiana. If I'm shooting baskets when I'm 105, there is no way in the world I'm going to shoot an eight foot basket. You know, it's embarrassing. Right. Or beginner ball. So we need a different <laughs> ball for senior tennis. Maybe make senior rackets back. But see, pickleball has symmetry. Tennis is too fast. It's, for seniors, it's like dancing a waltz to uh, disco music. It's just out of sync, okay? Uh, any, any, any more? Paul, give me some other ideas that we could do to get the tennis boom going here again. You and I, we need. <laughs> you and I need. Hey, USTA, come on, put Paul and me on some committees. You aren't going to do it, are you? Because <laughs> we ain't going to be yes men. You know, 
we ain't gonna we ain't gonna just go in with what the corporate people want. You know, we're educators. <laughs> so we got we got well, Chuck, time going back to three, four minutes. Give going me some back ideas. to the kid not being able to be motivated too much by college tennis. You're exactly right. Tennis Texas uh, Texas tennis is a very very strong entity in itself, and I kind of try and build up the dream for the kids now being on their high school team, having a shot to go to regionals, having a chance to go to state. And I try to build that kind of thing up quite a bit because we're fortunate enough that that is an honor in itself. I mean, if you, if you are playing top level Texas tennis, you're one of the better players in the country and can compete against just about anybody in the country. So I'm selling that. And guess what? I don't have to fight the foreigner issue because this is Americans. These are kids in their own backyard that are playing. You know, I brought up that Lavernia program. I, I try and instill that dream in them all the time. Let's go after the top dogs in your 4A competition, and let's not be afraid of them. Let's go after them. That's, that's love, plenty love for them as love it, it is. Love it. So, love it. One so more thing that's here. The way, that's the way I'm trying to excite them. I'm trying to excite okay. them that way. If you're at Slippery Rock Park in Laredo, Texas, Folks, if you're playing tennis there, put together tournaments on your own. Do not go through the USTA. Put up tournaments on your own. Have the kids come and whatever you do. But here's what you do. Folks, do you know our kids are now allowed to make money playing tennis? Every international student wants really bad and opened up the floodgates about 2012. They put together, I've got it right here, NCAA rule on tennis prize money. Paul Solis is disgusting. So we had so many pros playing college tennis. We had, in listen to this, the NCAA champion, I'm not going to tell you who it was, about 2000, 2001, two or something like that. There was an article done in the New York Times, showed him holding the NCAA ch- championship trophy. Then it had a picture right next to him holding a $12,000 check from a professional tournament that he had won in Europe two years earlier. Huh, huh. And it was on the New York Times. <laughs> Nobody did anything. So here's what they did. Instead, it's sort of like, hey, we got. It's like you're running a dormitory. Let's put it this way, and you got a hundred kids, and 85 of them are smoking dope. Okay, so oh, let's just legalize marijuana in this state. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so. Here's why we had so many people taking money. That now the sport of tennis. I'm going to read it to you here. And I hope I can stretch my phone across the room here. In tennis, prior to full-time collegiate enrollment on an individual may accept up to $10,000 per calendar year in prize money based on his or her performance in athletic events. Such prize money may be provided only by the sponsor of that event to to receive an additional prize money or bonus. You're not allowed to do that, and uh, it's, it's... provided such prize money does not exceed the individual's actual necessary expenses for the event. The calculation of this, he's allowed to make up to $10,000 past his expenses. So we're talking about anybody that's except top 300 in the world. It's nuts. Wow. So we're allowed professionals to play college tennis. It's like we have a program here, let's say, uh, we have a River Dogs baseball team. Folks, listen to this one. So you got 3A baseball team, 1A baseball team, 2A baseball team. And the kid plays five years on the 1A league, say, you know what, or three years or two years, I think they do have an age restriction, about 20. So, uh, Paul, they can they go and play, and then they go, hey, I think I'm going to go back to college. I can get a scholarship. Oh, wait a minute, now I can get that NIL or NINL or I can get paid too. Holy cow. So our kids, look, they can make prize money for the tournament up to $10,000 a year. Okay? All of the foreign athletes are getting this rule for them. Our kids are allowed to. USTA gives out trophies. And they don't even do that to give little bitty badges and things. They don't even do that. They leave peewee trophies somebody's making a killing, well, look, put together tournaments where kids make 500 bucks here, 300 bucks there. Hey, we might, we might be able to get the ball. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable yep. what we have done to turn our heads. 
and do the wrong things. And, you know, uh, we got to make a closing statement here because we do have to shut it down. Paul, okay. Um, any closing statement? I oh, man, I just love talking to you. You know, I just, I just uh, stay in the game. We got Paul Solis, battle, 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 ball, battle. It's the greatest sport in the world. Any closing comments? Oh, I'm just, I'm just a little concerned for the sport, but I'm keeping the hope because you know I do know that there's people out there that like the challenge of a difficult sport. And, again, I, I may have said it once, and I'll say it a thousand times more, and that is I feel blessed to be uh, I'm in the position that I'm in, and I want to help kids learn a sport that they're very involved in, and I hope there's all kinds of avenues for them to pursue their dreams. Yeah. I uh, couldn't have been said better. I cannot add any better words to that. I'm in the sport for the same reason without tennis. Holy guacamole. I don't know what I would have been doing, but I owe so much to it. <laughs> and folks, parents, get get your get your kids into this sport. It's it's great, great, great. But don't give them, don't put in more than the kids are willing to do for themselves. So anyhow, we didn't even do commercials. We got to go. <laughs> Paul, thanks. Thank you, Coach. Thanks very much. American tennis. Take care. Every Wednesday, dude. Come